0: It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This
1: is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also, see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Charles Stanley once said, we are either in the process of resisting God's truth or in the process of being shaped and molded by his truth. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host for more than two decades.
0: This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone.
1: Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode?
0: What are the true reasons for Jesus' return to earth? Our theme text, Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me.
1: What are the true reasons for Jesus' return to earth? Coming up in today's podcast, does Jesus' return bring Armageddon? Is his return to earth all about the wrath of God? Is it, is it to take vengeance on Israel for rejecting him? We're going to give some surprising answers in about 15 minutes. Now, what about Satan? Does Jesus' return to earth create a showdown between them? Find out what's at stake in about 30 minutes. And finally, is it possible to sum up the core reason for Jesus' return to earth in just one word? It is. And incidentally, the word is not vengeance, and the word is not wrath. We're going to fill you in in about 45 minutes, but first, let's find a starting point. Jesus changed the world when he came to earth as a man over 2,000 years ago. His character, teaching, miracles, and wisdom were and still are unmatched anywhere and anytime. As impactful as his first coming to earth was, he was very specific in letting his followers know that he would be returning to earth again. Many who look at the prophecies of Jesus' return see them as foretelling a time of calamity and trouble. While these expectations do carry elements of truth, the question remains, is Jesus returned to earth for the purpose of mayhem and destruction?
0: We believe the answer to this question to be an unequivocal no.
1: Well, thank you for that. Further, we believe that the reasons for his return are wrapped up in the carrying out of God's loving plan for all humanity. And we're going to open that up in a moment. Jonathan, I just wanted to take a quick, quick moment and mention that a dear Christian friend and example of ours, uh, Harriet, uh, passed away uh, just the other day. And um, obviously, folks, you don't know her, but we have, Jonathan, you and I have been involved in, 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 in Bible youth camps for many, 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 many years. And Harriet and her husband, Tony, who had passed away previously, had those camps at her, her home for 27, 28 years. And what a wonderful example of service. And we just wanted to acknowledge uh, her passing and her faithfulness.
0: And how many lives she touched through those young people and really inspired them to live good, wonderful lives. Um, And our son, I was so thankful that he had that experience. And your kids, oh my. yeah, They were the highlights of each year, weren't they?
1: Yeah, they were. And uh, so again, we wanted to acknowledge that. So, folks, we're talking about what are the true reasons for Jesus' return to earth. Let's set a little bit of context for Jesus' prophecy about his return, his own prophecy, Matthew 24. We're going to look at Matthew 24, verses 1 to 3. Let's start with verses 1 to 2 first.
0: Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down.
1: So, this starts out, he's coming out of the temple, and and he's pointing things out. So, Jesus is speaking of a dramatic event of startling proportions, because the temple is a massive structure. So, a little bit later on, this is when verse 3 takes place, Matthew 24, verse 3. As he was sitting on the
0: Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So
1: they ask him three very important questions. What's what's the first question? When will these things, the temple's destruction, happen? Okay, that's the first question. And a lot of times when we look at this, we forget about that part. But he had said, look, this is going to fall apart. So he draws attention to that. They're asking, okay, when? What's the next question?
0: What will be the sign or indication of Jesus' presence? Now, the Greek word for coming is parousia, and it means presence, arrival, not coming and on the way.
1: So the idea is when Jesus said, you know, signs of his coming, as it says in many, many, many versions, he's actually meaning when you see these things, it means I'm not on my way. I've already arrived.
0: What's the third question they ask? What will be the sign or indication of the end of the age? Now, Rick, that's a strange phrase. End
1: of what age? It's a really good question. And folks, next week, we're talking about that exact thing for the entire podcast. Are we currently living in the end times? The end of the age, the end times, it's all the same thing. So we're not going to get into that at this moment, but next week, we've got an hour for you on that very, very subject. So here, here's a key observation we're starting with. We, we, we seem... As, we, as Christians, we seem to interpret the signs or indications of Jesus' return as the reasons for his return, and then we stop looking further. In other words, we look at the signs of his return and say, oh, those must be the reasons, and then we're content with that. This is a mistake. You can't stop there. Instead, let's look at Jesus' first advent, his first coming, and his second advent, his second coming, as connected, as two parts of the same mission, as two sides of the same coin, this is there's a major major connectivity between what he did and what he's what his second presence will, is doing. So, Jonathan, let's start with the first advent or his first coming. What happened? What's the core core of that?
0: Well, uh, it is Jesus came to pay the ransom
1: for Adam's sin. This is the most important piece. Of this entire puzzle, this is the beginning of everything else. Without this piece, nothing else can happen. Next scripture that we're going to look at is Hebrews two nine, and it's a plain statement of purpose for Jesus' first advent.
0: But we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Well, Rick we all owe Jesus for our future lives.
1: Yeah, you know, we we owe him, and nobody can pay that debt. It's it's beyond our comprehension and our ability to pay. It is, it is. But this Hebrew scripture says, he, because of the suffering of death, is crowned with glory and honor, why? So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That's the core of everything that starts this whole thing. You can't understand Jesus' return until you get this. This is the big, big starting point. So we've got this plain statement of, tr- of, of a purpose. God's plan provided an answer to the dilemma of sin and death. There, there was an answer from the very beginning. It just needs to be unfolded and seen. This plan required justice to be fulfilled so life would again be accessible. God is not arbitrary ever about anything. Justice has to be satisfied. Romans 5 18 and 19 explains the justice of this paying of this ransom.
0: So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will
1: be made righteous. See, it talks about at the beginning of these verses, one man transgressed, Adam. One was righteous, Jesus. Equal. Payment. Trading off. Adam's sin for Jesus' righteousness. A perfect balance. Then it talks about the everybody else. Who was affected by Adam's sin? Oh, I don't know. Everybody. It calls everybody the many here. All were sinners as a result of Adam's sin, and therefore all will be justified Justice will be satisfied. They're justified as a result of Jesus paying the price. That is the key core point of his first advent, his first coming. We need to make sure we have that as our basis, and then you can see all of the other reasons unfold. So with the ransom payment having been made fully in Jesus' first advent, when he first came, one of the purposes for his second advent can now begin to become clear. Well, Rick, the, the application is different from the
0: payment. For example, you receive a Christmas gift early, and it says, don't open until Christmas.
1: <laughs> yeah, you get this gift early, and it's like, oh, and you shake the box, and you look at the size <laughs> of the box, and you think of the person, like, what's in it, what's in it, what's in it? You don't know until you're able to open it. And that's something we need to understand, that Jesus paid the ransom at his first advent. What's the second advent for, Jonathan?
0: Jesus returns to apply the ransom for Adam's sin.
1: So it's to apply. Now you find out what's in the box. So the box, the the present has been bought and paid for and wrapped and it's waiting. And now you have the second advent, that's when the effects of that present, the goodness, the joy of receiving that gift, comes to fruition. A great scripture on this is john 5:25 through 29
0: truly truly i say to you an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the son of man and those who hear will live for just as the father has life in himself even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself and he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man do not marvel at this For an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment.
1: There cannot be a resurrection unless the ransom had been paid. And it's a future time. And we look at this, we see Jesus return, and we realize that this is one of the core pieces of his return to apply the ransom that had been paid those thousands of years before. Applying the ransom means that those who were bought are brought to a position of individual accountability.
0: And Rick, there are two different scenarios going on here in verse 29. Those who are bought now, followers of Christ, they're the resurrection of life. And everyone else at their resurrection, the resurrection
1: of judgment. So what happened, and we're not getting into this in any depth today, but what happened is those true followers of Christ already had their accountability. They essentially already got to open their gift. But the rest of the world has no clue about it. And that's what's happening later. So the second advent is this the return apply is to apply this beautiful ransom that was paid thousands of years ago. So Jonathan, just with this one piece, why does Jesus return?
0: The work of ransoming all of humanity extends far beyond the paying of the price. During the time of Jesus, his return, its express purpose will be redeeming of what was paid for. Through resurrection, Jesus will open up the opportunity for humanity to live free from Adamic sin.
1: So there's an opportunity, that is not yet available that becomes available why because jesus returns we need to understand the first advent and the second advent are inexorably connected you can't understand the second unless you understand what happens at the first advent it's so important to understand that jesus returned to complete uh, that jesus returns to complete the mission that he began 2000 years ago.
0: Jesus's first advent was focused on Israel and they rejected him. What does that mean for his return?
1: Knowing that Jesus was the ransom for all humanity helps us more clearly understand several of the reasons for his first advent. He was a Jew raised under God's law. He was the promised Messiah and the vast majority of his time and effort was invested into God's chosen people. So in this segment, we're taking a look now that we've established the biggest picture of paying the ransom and applying the ransom. Now we're going to look at the details of his first advent and see how they they translate into the details of the second advent. Remember, two sides of the same coin. So Jonathan, what's our next focus from Jesus' first advent, his first coming?
0: Jesus came to offer Israel deliverance as their Messiah,
1: He came to offer deliverance. How do we know? Well, let's uh, go to Matthew 10, verses 5 to 7.
0: These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand.
1: All right, don't go to the Samaritans uh, don't go anywhere else, don't go to the Gentiles, just go to Israel, because that's where the primary focus of this work must be. So even though miracles and teachings were abundant, Jesus was rejected by the nation, and he, by his nation, and, here, and he therefore cast them off. He gave them opportunity, he taught them God's word, he showed them God's power And still the answer was no. And here is the inevitable response to that no answer after his three-and-a-half-year ministry in Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39.
0: Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who
1: kills the prophets
0: and stones those who are sent to her? How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say to you, From now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Rick, um, there's a a not yet here (laughs) based on the scripture. It says, until you say, blessed uh, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, This is not the end for Israel as a people. They will acknowledge Jesus as being their Messiah.
1: And, and see, this is an important, and this is subtle, but it's an important, important aspect. He's talking to those that rejected him. He's talking about them specifically. There is no, there is no replacement here of Christianity to Judaism. That is not what's being, being accessed here. Jesus is saying that those who rejected him will, actually, you're right, will have this opportunity. This casting off is not permanent. Prophecy indicated their reinstatement. So in the first advent, Jesus came to offer Israel deliverance as their Messiah. He was focused on Israel. He was the deliverer. What's the purpose of the second advent?
0: Jesus returns to restore and deliver Israel.
1: So now remember, we already have established that the ransom being paid in the first and applied in the second is the core value here. These are some of the really important details. In the first advent, he came to Israel they rejected him. In the second advent, his return is to restore and deliver them. Jesus cast Israel off for their disobedience, but that was the only at the beginning of his work. That was only at the very beginning there. His return promises great hope for this nation. We believe, Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, the verse we're going to read right now, we believe that Michael, who stands guard over Israel in this verse, pictures Jesus at the time of his return. So, Jonathan, let's go to Daniel 12, 1.
0: Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people Everyone who is found, written in the book, will be rescued. So
1: there's great comfort in the scripture. This great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, um, he will stand up, he will rise, he will get to a point of being noticed. And this is an important aspect. This is talking about the, 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 the regathering, the restoration, the deliverance of Israel as a nation. And no, we're not talking about spiritual Israel not talking about Christianity, we're talking about Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their lineage, Israel. That's what's being focused on here. Let's look further into this, because the second advent of Jesus is to restore and deliver Israel. Now remember, Israel's history has been very, 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 very splintered. And again, next week, folks, we're going to go into this in much more detail. We're just touching, just just touching lightly on the surface of some things that are incredibly exciting and very, very inspiring. Let's, Jonathan, take a a quick look at a prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 37. The restoration is biblically demonstrated here in these verses, as well as many, many other Old Testament verses. Here's this prophecy, we're going to look, just touch on it, Ezekiel 37, let's start with verses 4 to 6.
0: Again he said to me, prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, that you may come
1: alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. You think of the imagery in this prophecy, and it's, in a sense, imagine what what, um, what animators could do with this. If they're doing, a, you see this valley full of, Dead man's bones, these dried out bones, there's no life in them. As a nation, Israel is completely lifeless when this prophecy is, is being spoken. They, or it, it's, it's speaking about a time when, when they're completely lifeless, and it's showing the steps that bring them back to life. Now, how do we know? How do we know that this prophecy is about Israel? Couldn't it be about something else? Are we just simply interpreting? Well, on this prophecy, Jonathan, the answer to that is really easy. Because the prophecy itself tells us, it's unmistakable as to its meaning, and it's interpreted for us. So let's stay in Ezekiel 37, and now let's go to verses 11 to 12.
0: Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come out out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And Rick, uh, I loved how this started off where it says these bones are the whole house of Israel. Well, remember, this is including Israel and Judah.
1: Yeah, no division, the whole house of Israel. Now, folks, most of you may not know the answer to this. But in in the year, let's just pick a year. In the year 1920, could you find the nation of Israel on a world map? No, you couldn't. Why? It didn't exist. In the 1800s, could you find the nation of Israel on a world map? Couldn't. Why? It didn't exist. 1700s. 1600s. 1500s. No. Dry bones. For centuries, this nation was completely dead. Are they here now? Is there a nation of Israel? Yes. Next week, we're going into that a little bit deeper, okay? So you don't want to miss that. But, you know, this is exciting, Jonathan, because this is part of what Jesus returns to do. And you can see this work is happening in his return. Coming up out of their graves. It talks about them coming up out of their graves. It reminds me of that scripture we just read in the first segment, John 5, 28 and 29. Coming up out of their graves and coming to life. There's a a powerful inspiration here. How does it happen? Because Jesus paid the ransom. In the, in, in the first advent, and it applies it in his return. He preached to Israel in the first advent to, to show them deliverance, and he actually delivers them in the second. We don't stop here. The Apostle Paul reasons through the importance of the casting off and the regathering of Israel. And you should read the entire chapter, Romans, uh, Romans chapter 11. It really is inspiring, but let's just focus on, for right now, Romans 11, verses 25 through 29.
0: For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Well, Rick, when God makes a promise, he keeps a promise.
1: Yeah, he does. And when you say they are irrevocable, I'm glad you put all of that emphasis on it because God is serious when he makes promises. There, there's, no, there's no levity here. There's clarity, there's plan, there's focus, there's end result, and there's blessing always involved. But it's interesting. The Apostle Paul is talking about the hardening of Israel's hearts and so forth. Remember, this is written before A.D. 70. This is written before the destruction of Jerusalem. This is written before the temple is actually destroyed, like Jesus talked was going to happen in Matthew 24. This is before those things, and Paul is seeing all of these pieces in place already and saying, what has to happen? The fullness of the Gentiles has to come in and then Israel's restored. How does Israel get restored? Because Jesus returns to do it. That's how it happens. So you see how the incredible connectivity here. You talked about the promises of God as being irrevocable. Well, let's go back to that promise that began this whole thing. All of this remains in line with the original promise given to Abraham to be the father of a blesser nation. Go back to Abraham, the father of all of Israel, back in Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 through 18.
0: Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be
1: blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. See, there is incredible power and focus and clarity and hope in this promise. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In this promise... God God has foresight. We know that. And he says, "Your seed I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and as the sands of the seashore." He's showing us that the 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 seed of Abraham is both spiritual and physical. He's ex- God doesn't revoke his promises. He expands their reach. And that's what we're seeing here as we study and look into the reasons for Jesus' second advent or the reasons for his return.
0: And the other good point is, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, Jesus is the seed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Galatians 3.16 tells us that unequivocally. That's the way it is. There is no question about it. And Jesus came in his first advent to put things in place, and his second advent to carry out what he started. He starts his mission. He completes his mission. So why, Jonathan? Why does Jesus return?
0: The end result of casting Israel off before Jesus finished his earthly ministry becomes clear at his return. God's chosen people are being regathered for the
1: purpose of being blessed by God and then to be those who bless the world. So when you look at the return of Jesus, folks, there is much more than most of us ever thought. All we have to do is just look into what did he do in his first advent and what happens at the second, two sides of the exact same coin. Seeing the return of Jesus through the lens of a regathered Israel really expands our view of Jesus' mission.
0: Where does the calling to following Jesus fit in? Does this calling have anything to do with his return?
1: So now we talk about the call. The call to follow Jesus was the most sensational part of his earthly ministry. Jesus drew average people to him instead of seeking out the learned and the powerful. By teaching them discipleship and self-sacrifice, he created a world-changing force whose power would be revealed during his return. And, and Jonathan, I just want to make a make a comment here. I mentioned that this, the, the call to follow Jesus is the most sensational part of his earthly ministry. I mean, look, he raised Lazarus from the dead. The man had been dead four days. That's pretty sensational. That's a huge miracle. How could this be bigger? And the answer is because it involves a change of nature. It involves going from human nature to divine nature. There is, there is nothing at all natural about that. That is a sensational change that we cannot explain, we cannot understand, and it is part of wholesale, part of the plan of God. So now we focus on Jesus in his first advent and his second advent in relation to the call of Christianity. So Jonathan, in the first advent, what do we have?
0: Jesus came to call out a people for his name from the Jews first, and
1: then from the Gentiles. From the Jews first, And then from the Gentiles. We had a hint of that in the last segment, that last scripture. Uh, The Apostle Paul was was talking about that, quoting an Old Testament prophecy. So the call was to a life of selflessness. And and folks, let's not confuse what the call to Christ is. Here's what it is. It's a call to a life of selflessness, sacrifice, and godly blessing. And that was all first offered exclusively to Israel. Mark 8, verses 34 to 35, is Jesus talking to a primarily Jewish audience. Here's what he's explaining about what it means to follow him.
0: And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. And Rick, in episode 1183, we talked about the Syrophoenician woman who ate the crumbs from the table of the Jewish teachings and was blessed, which described the Jews' favor first, but also Gentiles would be blessed later,
1: like she was. So Jesus gave us ample opportunity to see God's plan unfolding, uh, and, but, but what we don't get with just the first Advent is how it gets concluded— you have to see the second advent for the conclusions of these things. So now we're still looking at the first advent, We're looking at the call to sacrifice, the call to discipleship, the call to be one who can be worthy of being called a Christian. Once Christianity was fully underway, the call was clearly expanded to Gentiles as well. And Jonathan, you, you mentioned that Syrophoenician woman as being a precursor to that. It showed us that. Well, we all know that the call did go out to the Gentiles through Cornelius first, and then you had Gentile churches and, Jew- and, and, and Jewish churches or Christianity, and they had issues. And so in Acts chapter 15, they're trying to resolve the issues between looking at Jewish tradition versus Gentile paganism and saying, these are two different backgrounds for Christianity. we got to balance this stuff out. The point of this scripture, though, is to clearly state that everybody understood The Gentiles were a part of this call. Acts chapter 15, verses 13 to 18.
0: After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Peter has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name says the Lord who makes
1: these things known from long ago so the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name you have this incredible invitation and and folks frankly that's why we get to be here that's why that's why we we have this privilege of following Christ the point here is in the first advent, Jesus, through his first advent and through the, the the handing off of the gospel to the apostles at Pentecost and so forth, there was a there was and is a complete equality in the call to follow Christ. It didn't matter if you were Jewish by heritage or Gentile by heritage, it didn't matter. There's a complete equality. But the ultimate rewards, they would be for a later time. So you've got this. And, and, and look, Jonathan, I know you would agree with me that life in service of Christ right now is an incredible reward.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Are there trials?
0: <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> but isn't that the way to prove our, our heart sincerity to wanting to do God's will?
1: And don't we get blessed far beyond our trials?
0: Oh, amen. Amen, brother. So,
1: so as good as that is, that's not it. That's not the end. That's the development, because that happens as a result of the first advent. What happens as a result of the second advent?
0: Jesus returns to bring all people to his name through his
1: called-out ones. So in the first advent, he came to call out a people for his name. In the second advent, he returns to bring all people to his name through the called-out ones that he was calling for the first time. So the, you can't deny the connection. and once you establish the connection between the first advent and the second, the whole thing makes incredible sense. And folks, I I don't know about you, but this this gets me all giddy inside because when you see the scriptural connections like this, you look at this and say, man, the plan of God is so comprehensive. Let, let's develop this. Romans chapter 8 verses 17 through 19, and we're talking about the idea of bringing all people, to the name of Christ through his called out ones. Romans 8, 17 to 19.
0: And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God.
1: The creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Because the revealing of the sons of God brings God's kingdom and it brings peace. That's why. They are put in place in the first advent, and they are revealed in the second advent. This call passes from the developmental phase that we're talking about from Jesus' first advent that we are still experiencing because we're Christians on earth. If you're Christians on earth struggling to be faithful, then you're part of that first advent work. Uh, so it passes from this developmental phase in which each disciple must prove faithful to the reconciliation phase of the second advent. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 19 expands things and makes it a little bit more, it, it makes it bigger and actually even more exciting than you might have thought possible.
0: Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ re- reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation.
1: Just dwell on the thought for a quick moment. What does it mean to be reconciled to God through Christ? It to mean, be made
0: right, right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You're okay before God. That's an amazing thing. because That we're all, is huge. Yeah, we're born in sin. We're shaped in iniquity. Uh, but but reconciliation takes care of that, and this scripture says God's reconciling the world through Christ to himself, and he's given us this ministry of the reconciliation. No wonder the world waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Happens in the second advent. They're not manifest—you know, you look at the world today, and people look at Christianity, and they laugh, and they sneer, and they snicker, and they, and they poke fun, and all of that. They don't get it. They don't understand the magnitude of the blessing that's coming to them because of the faithfulness of the the true followers of Christ now. These faithful ones, how does this happen? How do they get to that point? How do they become revealed and manifested and all that? They undergo a miraculous change. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52, and again, this is Second Advent. This is what it looks like. This is one of the reasons Jesus returns.
0: Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. But we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. And Rick, uh, check out, having everyone check out episode 900. This was a, a great episode. When will the rapture come? That really goes into what the Scripture is talking about.
1: Yeah, because it talks about, we'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. And many, many, many Christians interpret that as, as the rapture, You know, people leaving their shoes behind and all of those things. I encourage you to, to, to listen to that particular podcast because, first of all, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Okay, So we want to understand things according to Scripture, not according to tradition, and not according to science fiction. We want to understand them according to Scripture. This helps to understand what this change actually means. It does mean, though, that some of the followers of Christ slept for a long, long time, because it says we will not all sleep, which means some of us will. Some of us near the end of the age will be changed. There won't be time because the presence of the the Lord is, is upon us. So what we're seeing is that at the second advent, the sons of God who are called out because of the work of the first advent will become manifest And that brings in blessing. Why does Jesus return, Jonathan, with all of this in mind?
0: Jesus called out those who would be true Christians to follow him in a life of sacrifice. His return transforms these faithful ones to mighty spirit beings, and together they will reconcile the world from sin to righteousness. And uh, so the return of Jesus is not a moment in time, Rick. There's a lot going on here. You know, we talked about the regathering of Israel, which takes time. Uh, we have the developing of the church. We have the time of trouble. We know that's a part of his second advent. How about the removing of Satan, which we're going to be talking about? And how about the establishment on, of the kingdom on earth?
1: These things all take time. And they're all reasons Jesus returns. So you're right. The Looking at the second advent of Jesus, we need to have the eyes of 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 a time frame in place. Not the eyes of a moment, but the eyes of God's plan unfolding in its order in our mind. So that's an important point as we go on to the next piece of this. So we talked about the calling out of the true Church. Let's go back to the first advent for our next point. Jonathan, you already touched on it. What is it?
0: Jesus came to convict Satan and declare the end of his reign of evil.
1: He came to convict Satan, declare that his reign would end our human world will be permanently wrestled from the control of satan the betrayer into the hands of the faithful and risen jesus it will happen permanently how do we know that let's look at john chapter 12 verses 23 to 24 then 27 to 32 and jonathan i'm going to ask you to stop after verse 27
0: and jesus answered them saying the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified truly truly i say to you Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour.
1: So Jesus is framing the fact that he's facing uh, persecution and and, and crucifixion in the very, very, very near future. And so what's the reason for all of this? Well, let's listen. Verses 28... Uh, through 32.
0: Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself.
1: You hear the power of those last words he just said. Their judgments upon this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out. There is no equivocation. There's no, you know, it's going to be a tough fight. And I think we can win it. There is. This is what's going to happen. And he says, once I'm lifted up from the, the, this, this earth, I will draw not some, not a few, not a nation. I will draw all men to myself. Satan will. Loses. No wonder Satan was so bent on destroying or derailing Jesus. Jesus' faithfulness would cost Satan his kingdom. You know what this means? And
0: Rick, that reminded me of, uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Revelation 11 15. I I love this verse. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will
1: reign forever and ever. Translation Satan has an expiration date. (laughs) Okay? There's an expiration date, and once it's done, it's done. This is the work. Uh, Jesus is talking about this in his first Advent. He's pointing to it. It wasn't happening there, but he was putting things in place so it could. Now let's get to the second Advent. What is it?
0: Jesus returns to build a new heavens and a new earth without Satan's influence.
1: Why? Because he takes him off the scene, just like he said he would in his first advent. Satan wasn't gone when Jesus died. He wasn't gone when Jesus was raised to heaven. He wasn't gone when Pentecost came, but he will be completely gone as a result of Jesus' return here and now. Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 to 45. In the days
0: of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put away and put an end to all these kingdoms but it will itself stand forever you got to
1: understand that the kingdoms of this world are run under the auspices of the ruler of this world which is satan and when this prophecy in daniel 2 this was to nebuchadnezzar's dream about the 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 the, uh, the image and th- in this prophecy daniel is saying this kingdom that God will bring will put an end to these kingdoms. Won't rebuild them, won't remodel them. It will put an end, but it will itself endure forever. And it gets even more specific in verse, uh, uh, verse 45.
0: Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and it is inter-
1: its interpretation is trustworthy. And the reason we read that verse 45 is because all of the kingdoms, all of the great um, universal empires of the past, and everything that has come from them is crushed by this stone. It's taken away. It's blown away uh, in, in the wind because Jesus takes Satan out. So Jonathan, let's wrap up why Jesus returns in relation to this removal of Satan here.
0: Jesus's first advent was to provide a ransom for Adam. In so doing, he released all of humanity from the grip of sin and death. This would not take full effect until his return, during which he actually takes the ruling power of this world away from Satan. Rick, what a great sense of hope for the future. Do we realize how beautiful this is without this evil influence to live under a godly, righteous, Environment? Yeah,
1: yeah, you know, I don't I don't think we can unless we we delve deeply into the scriptures and, and, and try to absorb the prophecies because we human beings don't know what it's like to live without sin. We we can't find any example except for Jesus where that ever happened. So no, it's really hard to, to focus on. But this is why Jesus returns. He's taking Satan off the scene. He's putting God's kingdom through him on the scene. There is an incredible replacement going on. The reasons for Jesus return are many and powerful. They are all clearly complete. They all clearly complete what he started 2,000 years ago.
0: What is the end result of Jesus' return? Where does he bring humanity, and what does it look like?
1: So far, we have seen a very detailed process unfolding through the return of Jesus. It should be obvious that this process, like you said earlier, Jonathan, takes place over a significant time frame. The end result is that the trouble at the beginning of his return is temporary, and it opens the door to a world that many can only now dream about. There's a, there's a power to this whole thing. And in, in our final segment here, Jonathan, we want to we dwell on the power of that. But how do you figure out what the power is supposed to look like? You look at Jesus' first advent his first coming because it shows us the beginning of the mission so we can translate it into the second advent which is the ending of the mission. So in Jesus first advent his his earthly ministry was foreshadowing the future. How did it do that?
0: Jesus came to heal and
1: teach Israel so the people would recognize him as their savior. That's why he came. He came to heal and to teach specifically and foremost Israel. Jesus was overwhelmingly generous as he healed the masses. Overwhelmingly generous. Luke 6, chapter chapter 6, verses 17 to 19.
0: Jesus came with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming
1: from him and healing them all. This is not the only time, the scriptures say, and he healed them all. Jesus poured his heart into this ministry of not only teaching, but healing. But, you know, you think about this for a moment. Uh, the healing, all of this healing that he did was just, just it was very small, because he was just one man touching one group of people. You've got a whole world of people who are sin-sick and suffering here. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't limit his healing to the Jews, but did on occasion heal Gentiles. And again, you mentioned the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter. Uh, he healed Gentiles as a foreshadowing of things that would be coming. And let's look at another one of those foreshadowings. This is, this is remarkable because this is uh, a centurion that Jesus heals his servant, and it shows incredible, incredible faith on the part of this Gentile individual. Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 through 8, and then verses 10 and 13.
0: And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not
1: worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. You see the incredible faith here. He's asking for help. And Jesus is offering to come to him. And the centurion says, you don't even have to. I'm not worthy. I'm not one of you. I'm not worthy. Just say the word. See, the centurion uh, explains uh, that after after these verses, he explains his military authority as a centurion. "I, I order men, they come and go as I tell them you can do the same thing. He realizes Jesus has spiritual authority. Why? Because he's wielding a power that's not human. He's wielding God's influence and power in his hands. And so the centurion explains, you don't need to come, I know that you have the power through God to do this. And how does Jesus respond? Verses 10 and 13.
0: Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were falling, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment.
1: That very moment. The healing of Jesus' earthly ministry was effective. But like we said before, it was only a temporary little drop in a very big bucket. As magnificent as it was, and as as inspiring as it was, and as life-changing as it was temporarily for those few people, it was just a drop in the bucket. So why did Jesus do that? Why did he not really change the big picture, but do all of those little healings that were these little tiny drops? Because he was showing us what he was going to do in his second advent. That's why. Jonathan, what about the second advent in relation to the healing and the teaching?
0: Jesus returns to heal and teach all nations, so they will recognize and follow him as their redeemer and obey God as their solvent ruler.
1: So, in the second advent, in Jesus' return, what he showed in these little drops of wonderful, wonderful, wonderful healing becomes a wholesale changing of humanity. Jesus' return brings healing and not
0: only for the people, Rick, and that's awesome, but healing for the land as well,
1: and, this planet Earth. And there, there is a lot of prophecies we could go to, but let's just touch on one at this point. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 35. Uh, we're gonna do verses four through seven first, and we're gonna go to verses eight through 10.
0: Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and the streams in the desert. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes.
1: You know, I'm going to start with those last verses first. The scorched land will become a pool, the thirsty ground, springs of water. When you think of springs of water, what do you think of? Life. That's right. Bubbling up. <laughs> right. So, so the healing of the earth is a very, very powerful thing. And it's a very general statement because it's a, a wholesale healing. And here's the beauty of this. When you go back to the earlier verses, the eyes of the blind will be opened. Did Jesus open the eyes of the blind in his first advent? Certainly did. A handful of people. Yes, he did. Just a handful of people. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Did he heal those who couldn't hear? He performed that miracle also. The lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Did he perform those miracles in his first advent? He did indeed. Just to a few individuals. This, my friends, this is wholesale. This is saying the world now has access to the model of healing that I showed you at my first advent this is one of the main reasons i return his second advent brings this healing to the, to the to the humanity to all of humanity and to the earth and it brings direction and protection as well we are still in isaiah 35 verses 8 through 10.
0: a highway will be there a roadway and it will be called the highway of holiness the unclean will not travel on it but it will be for him who walks that way and fools will not wander on it no lion will be there nor any vicious beasts go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away.
1: You know, Jonathan, as, as we talked earlier, we were, we were looking at this this whole idea of the second advent, completing the mission of the first, two sides of the same coin, Jesus started something, thousands of years later, he finishes it. This is dramatic, what he's finishing. And remember at the very beginning, I, I, I gave the idea that, you know, can you, can, you, can you sum up all of Jesus' work of the Second Advent in one word?
0: And what, what is that word,
1: Rick? Well, there's several single words that would work, but I choose for today to use the word reconciliation, We mentioned that word earlier, and the whole point of Jesus' second advent is to reconcile the world, the human world, the physical world, to the plan and purposes of God in perfection. That's what it's there for. And because Jesus returns, it finally arrives, because he paid the ransom, because he the calling went out to the Jews, because he called out a people for his name, because he cast out Satan, did all those things the first advent. You take the counterpart of those things, and the end result of all of that is reconciliation. Jesus' return brings a unified world under the mighty hand of God.
0: And Rick, that reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. So, so... Now, doesn't this make so much more sense when you hear those words in the Lord's prayer? Well, first of all, Jesus doesn't tell his disciples to pray for something that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, He wouldn't have done that unless it was going to happen and be true. And when he is saying this, I'm going to bring my kingdom when I return. And you, followers of mine, need to be focused on that kingdom. Jesus will fulfill his mission because that's what he started. Remember he said, the kingdom of God is among you? So then pray for the mission to be finished because this is
1: world changing. And again, when Jesus came at his first advent, he did change the world to a degree. When he comes, his return, his second advent, all of these things are, have begun to take place. We see the restoration of Israel already in place. We see, see a lot of the work already in place. It changes the world forever on a grander scale. So when he says, pray for thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, boy, did he mean that. Let's demonstrate with just one of many, many prophecies. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, and these verses are going to describe the governmental part of God's kingdom through Christ.
0: Now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem."
1: There's such power in these verses. This, those verses, Jonathan, are a podcast all by themselves. But what it's giving us is a sense of the governing of the world will come because Jesus returned because he did the work of the first advent, and is is finalizing it all, and it comes with this mountain of the house of the Lord. A mountain in scripture is representative of a government. It will be the chief of the mountains. It's above everything, and it comes through Zion, the true church, and the word of the Lord comes from Jerusalem, Israel. You've got the true church, heavenly, Israel, earthly. This is how God's kingdom works, and it's because Jesus returns. Verse four of Isaiah two.
0: And he will judge between the nations and will render decision for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war.
1: Isn't that what everybody always talks about wanting? We all want to just put away the strife and just have peace amongst us. The Bible many times tells us, you don't have to worry about that. God's got this in control. And it's because Jesus did the work of the first advent and returned to put it in place in his second advent that it can actually happen. So the final aspect of Jesus' return, the final aspect is all glory goes to God the Father. All of it. And this is a powerful thing. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 25 through 28.
0: For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expected who put all things into subjection to him. When all things were subjected to him, the son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may
1: be all in all. So God may be all in all. Here's the thing that we need to realize and to to truly, truly appreciate and, and actually meditate on. Jesus always has and always will serve the Father. He will always do the Father's will, unequivocally, without question, every time. And his second presence is for the purpose of teaching the world what he knows about serving the Father.
0: So why did Jesus come the first time? To pay the price for sin and to show us what was going to happen by healing the people. So in his return, resurrection will be proof of his ransom sacrifice for humanity and the healing of the nations will be fulfilled as Jesus turns the perfected world over to God. And one more thing, Rick, can you even imagine what God and Jesus are going to do to bless everyone in their perfected state? For all
1: eternity? Nope. Can't even imagine, because it's so big, it's so far-reaching, it's beyond human comprehension. Thanks be to God that we have something to look forward to that's beyond human comprehension. So, Jonathan, finally, let's wrap this up, why Jesus returns. The end result of Jesus' return is the eternal reconciliation and blessing of all humanity. They will grow into being sons of God as Adam originally was. The lessons they will learn will become eternal touchstones, and all will dwell in godly righteousness. So folks, this is what we have. We have this picture uh, shown to us through Jesus' first advent. He came, he paid the price, he, he he went to the Jews, he called out a people for his name, he showed Satan that he would be cast out, and he, and he, he healed, and he taught, and, and, and he put in place all of the things necessary for us to say, okay, the work is magnificently begun, but it's only begun. Fast forward, this return, Jesus comes and finishes every one of the things that he did at the first advent in a glorious fashion, and the end result is, They all lived happily ever after. That is not a fairy tale. That is a scriptural principle because Jesus returns. So make no mistake, the return of Jesus is not about mayhem and destruction. It's about the building of God's kingdom on earth and the glorious blessings that can come from it here on earth as well as in heaven. That's why he returns. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we've referred to next week several times. Coming up next week, are we living in the end times, here and now? Is that where we are? Talk to you about that next week.